Our second lesson is Hebrews, the second chapter, beginning at the ninth verse. But we do see Jesus, who for a little while was made lower than the angels, now crowned with glory and honor because of the suffering of death, so that by the grace of God he might taste death for everyone. It was fitting that God, for whom and through whom all things exist in bringing many children to glory, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through sufferings, For the one who sanctifies and those who are sanctified all have one Father. For this reason, Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters, saying, I will proclaim your name to my brothers and sisters in the midst of the congregation I will praise you. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, here am I and the children whom God has given me. Since, therefore, the children share flesh and blood, he himself likewise shared the same things so that through death he might destroy the one who has the power of death, that is, the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by the fear of death. For it is clear that he did not come to help angels but the descendants of Abraham. Therefore he had to become like his brothers and sisters in every respect, so that he might be a merciful and faithful high priest in the service of God, to make a sacrifice of atonement, for the sins of the people. Because he himself was tested by what he suffered, he is able to help those who are being tested. Brothers and sisters, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Amen. So for these past uh, weeks of Lent, we have been intentionally, prayerfully, and reverently focusing on Uh, The person of Jesus, the Word made flesh. You know, every Sunday we worship Jesus, we focus on Christ in one way or another, but during these days of Lent, on these weekends of worship, we have been focusing all the more on various aspects of His Lordship and what it means that He is our Christ, our Anointed One, our Savior, and the Savior of the world. If you remember, we began four weeks ago uh, focusing on Jesus who is the true Son of God, not just a prophet, not just a nice man, not just, you know, a faithful servant, but the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. That's who we proclaim him to be. We then reflected on what it means for us that this Word made flesh, the living God, uh, is a friend of sinners. And you see, that's the only way that Jesus can be your friend and my friend, because there's only one person without sin, and that's Christ. And so he calls us his friends, um, and that's a gracious, loving, merciful thing. We didn't earn that friendship. It's given in love and grace. And having found us in sin and, and made us his friend, you know, the Lord wants us to struggle against everything that goes against the will of the Father, to seek that which is pleasing um, to the Lord. We then meditated on what it means in a world that for many of you, as you talk to me, is filled with so much darkness and and there's so much foreboding news. You know, every day it seems that uh, Jesus is the light of the world, uh, the light that no darkness, no darkness in any age can overcome. So we are people of hope because of this light. And last week, Pastor Jerry preached on a beautiful image of Jesus as the great physician. You know, in the scriptures, we hear that uh, by his stripes, by the wounds that Jesus experienced in his passion, we are healed. 
And so he comes to heal us as the great physician of our soul sickness, you know, the, the ultimate sickness, which is death, that we might live with him forever. And each one of these titles shows us a particular aspect of who Jesus is and what he means for us. And if you've missed any of those sermons, they're all on our website. And I would hope that maybe um, you would give them a listen if you haven't been able to be here uh, the last four Sundays. In our reading today from Hebrews, did you hear it? Uh, Jesus is recognized as our high priest. And that's a role that I'm guessing most of us don't think about too often. When you think about Jesus in your prayer life, in your meditations, in your conversations with others, I mean, as high priest, you know, one of those images that first comes to mind, maybe, but I doubt it. But it's a very beautiful and powerful image, and it has great meaning for us. And that's going to be our meditation this morning, what it means for Christ to be our high priest. Now, let's uh, remember where this word originates. Priest simply refers to someone who's set apart. The fancy word for that is ordained. But a priest is someone set apart uh, for a particular service uh, to God. That's what a priest does. A priest serves the living God. And the first place we find the word priest in the Bible goes all the way back to the beginning, to the book of Genesis, chapter 14. I'll tell you what's going on there. Abraham was going into battle, not because he's, you know, bloodthirsty, because, you know, he's a warmonger, but he's going to rescue his nephew Lot, who's been captured by the army of Elam. Abraham is then met by someone by the name of Melchizedek. Now, lots of people like to give their children biblical names. Do you know any Melchizedeks? Probably not, but he was king of Salem. And he was, listen, the priest of the Most High God. And this Melchizedek blesses Abraham, and then God gives Abraham the victory. And in response to this blessing, Abraham goes to Melchizedek and gives him a tithe. You know what that is? 10% of all the spoils of war that he won in that battle. Fast forward many years later, Abraham's great-grandson Levi, now there's a name some people give their sons, Levi was chosen by God to be the father of the priestly tribe of the Hebrew people, all the slaves that were called out of Egypt to the Promised Land. When the law was given on Mount Sinai, the Levites were identified as the servants of the tabernacle with the family of Aaron as the priests. And those priests were responsible for making intercession to God on behalf of all the people of Israel by the many sacrifices that the law required. Among all those priests, the set-apart ones, the ordained ones, one was selected to be the highest priest, the high priest. And he alone would enter the Holy of Holies inside the tabernacle. No one could see him doing this to place the blood of sacrifices on the Ark of the Covenant. And by this action, by this uh, ministry of the high priest, the sins of the people were forgiven. They were covered. They were atoned. The high priests who followed through the centuries all belonged to the same Jewish priestly family, tracing their ancestry all the way back to Aaron. And whether you know it or not, you're going to leave the house of God today knowing it full well. Every Sunday when worship ends, you receive a blessing that goes back to Aaron himself. It's called the Aaronic, A-A-R-O-N-I-C, blessing. If you want to double-check the preacher, it's in Numbers chapter 6. 
The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord look upon you with favor and give you peace. That blessing is ancient, and it goes back to the high priest. It goes back to Aaron himself. Now, when these high priests were set apart, it was quite an event. It was quite uh, a liturgical service, if you will. And the garments and the actions in this ordination, this setting apart, are described in detail in Exodus and Leviticus. I'll describe it for you. They wore linen pants from the waist to the knees, a beautiful tunic, a sash, a blue robe with golden bells on the fringe, an embroidered apron with gemstones, a breastplate with 12 more gems engraved with the names of the 12 tribes of Israel, a gold plate attached to the front of the hat, the turban with the words, Holiness to the Lord, to Yahweh. And the ordination of the high priest, in addition to all this fancy uh, clothing, included certain rites which all the priests were required to undergo. Purification, something called the filling of hands, the smearing of blood, and the anointing with sacred oil. Now, we're going to contrast that to Jesus, our high priest, who was stripped of his clothing, nearly naked, while the soldiers... You know, rolled the dice to see who would go home with his tunic. Think about the temple priests and think about Jesus, the high priest. The purification of temple priests was accomplished with um, ritual bathing. When did Jesus get a bath? Uh, when he waded into the Jordan River to receive a baptism for the forgiveness of sins, though he was the spotless, sinless Lamb of God. You see, Jesus immerses himself in the need and the reality and the situation of sinful humanity. Even at his bathing, he wades into the water meant to wash away the sins of the people there with John the Baptist. Uh, When the high priest of Israel had the filling of hands, um, what that means is their hands were filled with all these gifts, of delicious breads and cakes, how would Jesus' hands be filled? Well, they wouldn't. Rather, they would be emptied and stretched out and nailed to the cross. For the high priest's ordination, there was the smearing of the blood of a bull and a ram on the altar. But when it came to Jesus, it would be his own blood uh, smeared on that cross Uh, His own blood running down his face as that crown of thorns meant to mock him was shoved into his scalp. The high priest of Israel was set apart through the anointing of his head with costly oils from near and far. Do you remember Jesus' anointing? It happened in the home of a Pharisee, a weeping woman that had quite the reputation according to the Gospels. Uh, washed his feet with her tears, dried them with her hair. She put perfume on his feet, and even then our high priest was scorned for allowing a woman like that to come so near. One last comparison. When the high priest of Israel served God by entering the Holy of Holies, he was uh, in a mysterious place. He was hidden from the people. And look at our high priest making his sacrifice on the cross, not in hiding, Not some private execution behind closed doors, but on a cross in full view of the mocking public 
And it was meant to be that way, that he might be ridiculed and scorned and heckled, even in dying. And all this your high priest Jesus did for you. Through the blood of this new covenant, you have been cleansed. Your sins, no matter how severe and no matter how well you may have succeeded in keeping them secret, are known to God. This high priest knows everything about you, and he has chosen to die in your place. He wants you to have life and to have mercy and to be transformed And he wants your sins nailed to that cross that the new you might finally live. And I've got news for you today. For some of you, this might be a surprise. You have been ordained into the priesthood. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. You are God's chosen people. You are a royal priesthood. This is not written to a conference of clergy. This is written to all God's people. You're God's people. He's chosen you. And in your baptism, you have been set apart. You have been ordained into this priesthood we all share. And in this priesthood, we're called to be like Jesus. And did you hear in Hebrews the kind of priest we have? He's merciful and simultaneously He is faithful. He is obedient and he is gracious. These things are not contradictory. In Christ, faithfulness and mercy meet. Faithfulness to God means that we declare Jesus to be exactly whom the scriptures proclaim him to be and what Jesus said of himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but by me. And we are called without apology in every generation to give a faithful witness to the uniqueness, to the singularity of Christ, that he alone is the way to life, is the way to eternal life. And the church should never apologize for that. Because you see, in our faithfulness to the singularity and the centrality of Christ crucified, we're called to also be merciful. We're called to show mercy and compassion to the lost, the broken, the cynical, and even those who might mock our faith. I shared this at the 8 o'clock service. When I was a teenager in our youth group, we sang a song that we loved. It was one of our favorites. Years later, I learned... Um, in the hallowed halls of a seminary that this song is inappropriate because it's not very theologically sophisticated. And the song was, uh, raise your hand if you remember it, they'll know we are Christians by our love. I thought it was a great song. I even remember one Luther League, that's what we called youth group back then, one Luther League meeting where one of the um, youth ministers, uh, the chaperones, the sponsors, had us look in the 13th chapter of John's gospel. The reason we sing, they'll know we're Christians by our love, is Jesus. He said, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another, and by this all people will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Many in the church today are very serious about their faithfulness to God, about right doctrine without compromise, and so they should be, and so should we. 
But I have lived long enough and pastored long enough to see that many in their zeal to be faithfulness, to have faithfulness to God and right doctrine and right teaching often fail to demonstrate the love and the mercy that Jesus tells us should be ever-present, dynamic forces and realities in any Christian community. It's one thing to be faithful. It's another thing to be merciful. I would hope and I would pray that you and I, as a royal priesthood, would be just as eager to invite people who are hurting, people who've made a mess of their lives, people who have made the worst possible decisions. I would hope we would be just as welcoming and just as loving to those people as we would be to those who seem to be so well put together, so successful, so on top of their game. You see, Jesus, our high priest, died for all. And as the old saying goes, at the foot of the cross, it's level ground. We all stand in equal need of the mercy that only Jesus provides. He died for you. He died for me. He died for all. My prayer as we move to Palm Sunday and Holy Week is that all of us would want to be more and more like Jesus, Son of God and friend of sinners like you and me. I look forward to worshiping the Lord with you next week on Palm Sunday and all of its joy and all of its gladness. But as we once again remember our Lord's entry to Jerusalem, let's think like Jesus. He knew with all the hosannas and all the words of welcome and all the acclamation that in a matter of days, by week's end, he would be betrayed by one of his best friends, denied by disciples, arrested, and put to death. You think about Jesus. You think about the high priest. He went to Jerusalem not to go into the Holy of Holies to make a sacrifice where no one could see him. But he went to Jerusalem knowing that he would be the sacrifice. And he went there because God's love called him and compelled him. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.